Load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate About the weights and make a podcast Sumo is cheating This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 75 of Weekly Weights My name's Alex Hayes and Will is still away So joining me via Zoom is Thomas Lilly Thomas is going to be my co-host today so Thomas is the owner of Zero W and the gym under the same brand called Ground Zero. He has a bachelor's degree in health science, majoring in nutrition. He's a competitive powerlifter. He's a pro or competitor and one of the co-hosts of the second best Australian powerlifting podcast called Peak He has best competition lifts of 345, 200 and 330. Thomas, welcome on, man. Thanks, man. It's, uh, it's good to be back on... Uh, peakly waves, uh, week, weekly speak, <laughs> whatever you guys call it. This um, is the crossover just, episode. Weekly. Yeah, just missing the missing the other co-host, Will Will Nerdman. <laughs> uh, so I should say that you're the uh, first of the peak speak hosts to be on twice. So suck that, Shero. <laughs> so um. I wanted to get you on today to talk about online coaching because that's kind of what you're known for in Australia. You were one of the first people to um, sort of gain recognition for the coaching that you did over the internet. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a thing in America and you were kind of the first sort of in, in Australia to, to sort of be known for it. So um, let's just start off with how online co- coaching differs to in-person coaching. So what do you think are the main differences between the two? Uh, the main one is that uh, online coaching is done online. In-person is generally done in person. Uh, <laughs> and th- that, that tends to be the major difference. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. That's just like the, the Texas deadlift bar last time. <laughs> What's the difference between a deadlift bar and what does it do? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, look. Um, I think uh, there's, there's probably less difference than people like to make out um, once you're skilled at it. I think the initial differences that you find is that, uh, of course, the language that you use when you're online is so important because that is everything. The language that you use is your demonstration. The language that you use is your tactile cueing. All of that stuff you lose in the online medium. You can't touch someone. You can't just stand in front of them and demonstrate it. Uh, You have to be able to convey in your language. Um, and I think that's probably where most people struggle when they switch into the realm of online coaching is being able to use language to convey exactly what the person needs to do from a biomechanical perspective. That's by far the hardest part, in my opinion. Um, the, there are some other kind of subtle differences uh, with the online coaching medium. I think the biggest one uh, external to just like the biomechanical actual coaching stuff is the relationship side of things in person you develop a far more friendly relationship quicker I think because there is a lot of time like in between sets for small talk there is a lot of time for bonding you get a little bit more acutely aware of the person's emotional state as well so you form connections in that way Uh, online you know you you just kind of uh, conveying it via text you get to choose when you connect with the person when you're online. So if you're my client and you feel like shit, you might not send your check in for a few hours until you feel a little bit better. 
if I'm your coach and I feel like shit, I might not reply for a few hours until I feel better. So you tend to lose some of that uh, emotions and emotional side of stuff and that connection via emotion uh, tends to get lost a little bit as well. Unless, of course, you already know this person or you see them frequently or you take the time outside of the coach-client relationship to build a, a personal friendship with them at the same time via online. Yeah, one of the big things that I've noticed that is super different is just like how immediate things are in person versus online because that there's a little bit of delay and it kind of can be can take a few weeks to get across to someone some new technique cue that you want them to work on or whatever over the internet versus in person it might take you you know one or two sessions or one or two sets or whatever the case is yeah for sure for sure and if you know a cue that you throw at someone doesn't work immediately like you say there's going to be this lag this delay and let's say you only have a bag of three cues for one particular issue you try it time one they don't get it time two they don't get it time three they don't get it what do you do can't keep saying the same thing because again this is language in in person you might be saying to them you're trying to get their knees to open up on the squat or their hips to open up on the squat and you're trying to say to them knees out or spread the floor whatever cue you're using uh, and they're not getting it and they're like no, no no just do this and you just show them uh and in person it seems to get across straight away because there is no time delay like i can record a video of myself saying no 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 do this rather than using written cues but still it's up to that person to look at it and then uh you know time it right in their head into the gym and they might not do that in the gym they might look at it at home and then go and squat two days later and if the message is being lost in translation they record that they send it through they've screwed it up again what do you do uh that time delay that lag is definitely a big hurdle when you're kind of venturing into the online coaching world yeah absolutely Mm. keep going Oh, cool. Uh, all I was going to say is that that kind of segues into into probably um, the biggest conversation to have around this stuff, which is which is around queuing, right? Which is around getting getting that language right so it does translate into uh, the client getting some sort of an outcome. Um, I can't remember if that was on our list of notes or not. Yeah, we'll get to that. Am I jumping ahead? Yes, we. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. So the next the next question was um, who is more suited to online coaching versus in person coaching. Or can it be for everyone? Yeah, th- this is an interesting one because uh, I have always had the attitude that anyone is suitable for online coaching. Like, you know, some people will say, oh, I tried coaching this person for a while online and they just didn't get it. They weren't getting it. And I kind of think, well, it's up to you as a coach to be able to convey that message to the client in a way that they understand whether they're a visual learner or an auditory learner or whatever it may be. Um, you need to be able to convey that message so they get the outcome on the other end. Uh, so for a long time, I kind of held the belief that anyone is suited to online coaching. And now that I've coached hundreds of people online, and I'd say the success rate is very, very high. I do think that some people struggle uh, to be able to translate that into reality. Um, however, uh, I don't think I could confidently say that some people just aren't suited to it because in... Uh, you know, that's just coming from an anecdotal perspective. And I've never told people, this is the way you should do it. You should take your phone to the gym. You should read the notes exactly before you do each set. You should record yourself, watch it back. Does it match up to the feedback? Do you need to think about something else? Like I've never, uh, you know, explicitly defined how they should use the online coaching service. So for the few people that I can think of that really didn't uh, respond to the online coaching, uh, 
I still wouldn't write it off as they weren't suited to online coaching. Um, I think there would be more work to be done in terms of being, like I said, explicitly defining how to do it. But there are definitely going to be cases that are harder than others. Some people are just more body coordinated. Some people can just read the words on paper that they need to do to their body and then make it happen. Um, I would say that coaching in person because of that lack of time delay uh, is probably a quicker and easier way for most people to do it. Um, but that doesn't mean that online coaching is ineffective by any means. Yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest one is experience level. Like if someone has never been in the gym before and they say, you know, I want to do online powerlifting coaching, I want you to coach me in my first comp, and they've never even seen the inside of a gym, I think it's probably not going to be suited to them and they probably need to do a few sessions in line, hands-on, sorry, in-person, hands-on and sort of grasp the basics before sort of progressing into online. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, the bias that I have is because I've uh, kind of set myself apart um, and I, I tend to attract the people that want to be coached by me and the people that want to be coached by me don't tend to be brand new people. Yeah, um, I think the brand new people don't necessarily or don't or very rarely go down the online route. However, I do coach uh, through the, the coach development program a group of people who specifically work with like brand newies online. Um, and the challenges that they face are far greater than the challenges that I face in terms of getting people to move well fast. I can think of two people I've had that have had never done the lifts that I took on board as online clients and both of them had great success. But I think they were really quite already motivated to do powerlifting, to be good at powerlifting. Um, it's definitely more of a challenge. I think the higher your experience level probably the better you're going to be. But then again, I can think of some people who are very experienced and just don't uh, don't respond quite as well as other people. The the interesting thing, and I'd, like I'll try and be as, I guess, politically correct as possible with this, is that um, you kind of expect people of maybe a higher IQ or a higher intelligence level to respond a little bit better to the online coaching. You know, people who are a little bit more literate uh, yeah but there's some people that can't or can barely read or write that do really well out of very technical feedback and then some people that are like very 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 intelligent that do really poorly out of the technical feedback i think it's the not only is it the experience level but some people just have better coordination some people are just uh, i call it body intelligence some people are just more body intelligent yeah uh, and that doesn't necessarily relate in any way shape or form to your brain intelligence well something that i've found actually is that sometimes the people who are higher brain intelligence they might be like reading a bunch of stuff in all kinds of sources and then that might actually confuse them yeah that i think is right yeah and they come to you with like oh i read this article and it says x y and z and you've told me you know a b and z and you know it's like well who have you paid to coach you versus something that you're reading online you're just like muddying the water and confusing yourself. You know what I mean? So I think it can go either way. Like obviously they'll be able to receive what you're saying because they can like understand it all. But if they've got, you know, sources from everywhere telling them what to do, then it, you know, might confuse them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. On the one hand, I actually like it when people do that and they're like, you, you're saying this, but I read this or I think this. So you can open up that dialogue about it. 
the annoying part of that is when they send you a video and they're like, oh, I read this, so I tried it today. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Your squats look like shit today. Maybe just go back to what you were doing. That's that's going to be my feedback for the week, you know? Yeah, um, it, gives you, it gives you a chance to like explain to them why your method is correct, right? Yeah, maybe correct is not the right word, but well, like, why they should be following that method at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting cool. one. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I still, my answer to the, the initial question, like, do I think people, there's certain people that aren't suited to the online coaching? My answer is I don't really know, but I'm still leaning more towards the side of no than yes. Yeah. And I kind of share a similar sentiment to you in that I've never turned anyone away from online coaching because the people who want to work with me have come to me because they want to work with me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I ever would turn anyone away unless they were like completely brand new and I might, you know, get them in the gym a couple of times first. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hard call to make. Like if you've got someone that's, you know, you're consistently giving feedback to, you're trying everything that you can and you're confident that your method should be producing a result and it's not because they're not applying the feedback or they're not applying, you know, they might be skipping out of their program, whatever it may be that they, they're able to do because you're not there watching them. Um, at, I guess at one point you have to ask yourself, is this going to be harmful to my brand if this person's been training with me for two years and they've made very little progress or their lifting hasn't improved or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. in my experience, I've, I've never come to sort of asking that question. I've been close to being like, Hey, maybe the online thing, the online thing for you right now, is it working out? But, uh, I, that's, that's failure to me. I feel like I need to try harder to, you know, I, I feel like there's always another angle that you can attack it from to try and get the result you're looking for. Yeah, right. So you, you think about, you think it's more about the coach than the client in that instance. Then. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. I like, I wear every client's failures on my sleeves. Like I can't, I can't help to become emotionally attached to their progress. Um, and even when you know you're not responsible for maybe a lack of progress or an injury or something like that, it is really quite hard to detach uh, yourself from. Um, I'd like to think that's a good thing. I like to think that I, I care. Uh, I don't know if everyone would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a good thing. <laughs> All right, let's um, move on to the next part. So this is something that you kind of brought up earlier is um, coaching technique online. And this is something that, I have in times struggled with if something, someone doesn't get uh, what I'm trying to say immediately. And um, in person, obviously, we can use demonstrations. We can give immediate feedback or we can like, literally move their body into the positions that we want them to be in. And online, we don't have all of the same options. So what are some of the ways that you've been able to communicate effectively online to elicit good technique in your clients? Yeah, yeah. And uh, like I was saying before, I think this is the – this is the most important part of online coaching and, and, and of course, one of the most challenging things as well. Um, I think it's important to stipulate definitions here as well. If we're saying online coaching, it's fucking coaching. It's, it's not online programming. It's coaching. It's technical feedback. It's trying to make the lifter on the other end better. I think there's a lot of online coaches that are just really online template programmers. Mm. Um, and I think there's a big difference between coaching and programming. Anyway, um, the like i said the language that we use we have to be very acutely aware of what those words are actually saying uh, i got to do a really cool thing with a um, with a group last weekend uh they're part of the coach development thing as well 
and uh, I came in as a mock client uh, with really shitty squat technique and I got them to cue me through, you know, trying to get me into better positions. And I took everything that they said and I did it exactly as they said it. And what the whole point of the exercise was demonstrating that if you're using language that doesn't make sense to the average person or you're using language that sounds okay but doesn't quite work in real life, uh, then it's not going to translate very well. And that's even more true in the online setting. So, for example, you know, they were trying to get me to get my upper back tighter. Um, and uh, I got on the bar and one of them's like, okay, now lift your elbows up. So I lifted my elbows up, but I lifted them up like stupid. I just kept lifting them up as high as I could because that's all they said, lift your elbows up. Then she said, pull your shoulder blades down. So I just kind of do this because that pull your shoulder blades down makes a lot of sense if you know how to pull your shoulder blades down already but if that's the first time you're hearing someone say pull your shoulders blade pull your shoulders blade pull your shoulder blade down uh, and you've already put yourself in a biomechanically disadvantageous position to do that it's not going to happen and this is what happens with online coaching you tell people to do something and you think you're being clear you think you're being clear about exactly what you want them to do and then they'll do it according to what they interpret and it's really easy to misinterpret words that are telling you to do something with your body um, so when i talk about cueing i talk about uh, the most important sort of cues being uh, or the best sort of cues being to relate to as close as the biomechanical action that we're seeking so what I mean by that is like, if you're trying to get someone to pull their shoulders back and down to a bench, you need to teach them how to pull their shoulders back and down to a bench rather than saying things that might guide them into the right position. Cause you could be saying things like pull the bar apart or bend the bar or tuck your elbows in and they can be taking it to the nth degree or cueing the diff a different action to what you're saying. So you have to make sure that the, the language you're using can be uh, uh, as little as, as least misinterpreted as possible. That is by far the hardest part when it comes to online technical coaching. Um, the other thing is like until you have a really, really good understanding of biomechanics or of biomechanics that relate to your system of coaching, it's going to be really hard to tie it all together because otherwise you're just shooting in the dark. You're being like, well, I think the knee should go out. So knees out or if you don't understand where a problem's coming from and you're focused on what the breakdown, what you can see happening with that problem is, then you might miss the mark completely. If someone's consistently failing or slowing down their bench at the top just before lockout and you're like, all you have to do is do a heap more tricep work. They keep doing tricep work and that problem never gets better. You're targeting the wrong thing. It's exactly the same when it comes to cueing and technical feedback. If the knees are caving in, you can't just keep saying knees out because it's not like they're thinking, hey, I better duck my knees in when I come up on, on the squat. The knees are caving in for a reason. So you need to be good at talking to the reasons uh, and reducing the number of cues that you give them that may not be the reason why those breakdowns are occurring. That makes sense. That was really weird. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. So how I'm often... Sorry. Yeah, keep going. Well, all I was going to say is the, the immediate thing with online coaching is that you can only deal with what you see. Um, and so when you're writing the feedback, like in person, you might see feet and ankles and knees and stuff caving in, but you might know acutely that this person's core is weak and that's the reason all that stuff's happening. With online, especially when you start, go from being an okay coach to a, like an intermediate coach, you get really excited about things that you can see. 
you'd be like, yeah, that foot's like one inch further back and you need to stand an inch wider and you need to grip the ball with your toes and you need to twist your feet into the floor and you need to do this. You want to say everything that's happening rather than going back to, okay, why is all this stuff happening? And what's the one thing that I can work on or the one or two things that I can work on that will immediately eliminate that sort of stuff. Because pointing out what's going wrong isn't, isn't going to help the lifter on the other end. It's like bar path, right? That'd be like you getting a video of someone from the side and be like, oh, your bar path is all out of whack. So we need you, to, we need to get your bar path straight. Stop talking about that stuff because that gets in their head and that doesn't help them. I can't get under the bar next time I squat and think, oh, I better fix my bar path because so-and-so told me to do it. Um, so uh, the, the key to getting, you know, good technical results out of the client on the other end is being able to talk to exactly what their problem is. And that starts with having a really good understanding of the biomechanics of those lists that you're trying to fix. Yeah, so I guess to explain, to summarize that in layman's terms, it's like don't focus on what the symptom is, focus on what the cause of the symptom is. Yeah, for sure. So like sure. the big example that you always tell me um, when we do our coach development course is like the knees caving in. So yeah. to, to cue the knees caving in, like we don't want to just say knees out. We want to figure out why the knees are coming in and then <laughs> the reason that it, that that is happening and then you don't have to even say anything about the knees yeah for sure for sure hey and you have to ask the question you know is the cue that you're telling them to do the thing that you actually want do you want their knees out no you just don't want them in mm. so why are we telling them to do something that we don't want why are we telling people to tuck your elbows you don't want to tuck your elbows when you bench you just don't want them to flare out like ridiculously so having an understanding of that is like, well, fuck, what do I do? What's the, what's the thing I have to tell them to do? There's no one magic, one magic cue to get rid of all these, these problems. More importantly is understanding the principle that defines where these problems come from. That's, mm-hmm. that's the key. And that's not something we can just cover in this podcast with a couple of cues. Um, but I think that's, that's what's lacking in the online coaching world. So um, how often would you get a client who doesn't respond to the way that you communicate your technique and then does that ever like have you question your system yeah i mean that's that's the thing that's made me come up with the system that i have i guess is because i've tried every single cue and every single angle uh, and i'll get it to work really well for like you know 80 percent of people and i'll be like, then these 20 percent of people i can't fix i'm like i gotta go deeper i gotta figure out why this is happening then keep refining and refining and refining that's how it kind of happened over the years um, it's really easy, you know, uh, to, for you to have a bias because you've been doing this coach development system thing. And, uh, you know, I present, uh, the way that I like to cue things and, and my understanding of biomechanics and that kind of maybe, uh, appears, makes it appear that my approach is really simple and limited. Um, but there's like that, this is the stuff that I've found works for the highest percentage of people. And that other percentage that don't respond to that kind of language you just have to change it you just have to be able to adapt and try and hit it from another angle until they get it um and in doing that i I get very 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 few low responders these days in the last in the last two 18 months to two years i can think of two people that have a really hard time uh getting the language and translating it and one of them came up and saw me in person and we fixed everything in person uh, and then they went away and, and lost it all so they're one of the, these people that maybe are the most quality intelligent kind of thing. Um, and in, in that case, it's not like online coaching is not going to work for them. It's just going to be very, very slow. So they may be better suited to in-person coaching. 
because they need that kind of weekly reminder. No, 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 remember to do this and slowly, slowly, slowly get better. Uh, but again, that, that comes back to the, I guess, the definition of how the online coaching should work, which I'm uh, in full admission probably not good enough at describing to people. I can't let people figure it out for themselves. Um, maybe that's something I need to add into my onboarding process is like tell people how they should use the online coaching to get the most out of it. Mm. So something that you mentioned there is something that I've um, noticed in myself and in a lot of the coaches that I work with and see is that um, when they first start out, it's like everything, everything is a problem and it's like, okay, how do I fix this? How do I fix this? How do I fix this? And then you kind of learn along the way how to fix certain things. And then the, the further you go in coaching, the more problems you can fix and the greater percentage of people you can fix. Mm. And that's like something that I guess to talk on your coach development course a little bit, it's like, that's what I'm learning from you is like how to fix the underlying issues, like get them at the ground level so that you can work back through them. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. And I mean, if, if it was, if it was super, super hard, no one would be doing online coaching. You know, like we can use cues that I would deem as sort of substandard or not very good, but we can fix a lot of problems with that kind of just simple approach, like knees out, like tuck your elbows, like that kind of language and that kind of thinking. Um, You can fix a shitload of lifters just by doing that stuff. I mean, that's how I started. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just a a little bit, I wouldn't say a deep thinker as much as I'd say fucking crazy. Um, I'm just a little bit mental. So I I get really frustrated if I can't figure something out. I guess I'm a bit of a problem solver. So, you know, over the years, if I haven't been able to fix something on the spot and I haven't been able to come with an explanation, I wear that. I'm like, I'm done. I can't figure this out. So I have to figure it out. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I can't move on. Um, And I think that kind of self-reflection and that kind of, um, you know, constant self-assessment of your method is important to continue to grow because you can't stay stagnant with this stuff. You have to continue to grow. Otherwise, this one person that you can't fix, they're an archetype. You're going to get another one of those people come along and you can't just continue to write that off. You can if you want, but you're just shooting yourself in the foot because you can't, you're throwing away business. If you just like can't fix you or they're not getting fixed. So they're like, I'm not getting any better. I'm going to leave. So for me, it was the business side of things as well. Get results. So aside from the development of a system and, you know, having, being able to answer the questions of why we do certain things. What are the biggest um, sort of holes in coaches that you see? So I put you on the spot in that one. That was not on the uh, outline. Yeah, no, I mean, if we're we're talking specifically about online, um, the, the biggest thing would be uh, real and clear and uh, realistic and clear expectations. Um, I think people don't set up a, like outside of the coaching system, uh, as in like the biomechanical approach, the way you're thinking about things, the actual system of the delivery of the product could probably be a little bit more well thought out for most people. I think a lot of people are just like, okay, I'm going to start coaching, contact me for coaching, and they don't have a system or a plan in place. It's like, yeah, sure, you're probably only get going to get one or two people that come on board and you can do whatever you want with that. But what happens if you get 50 or 60? What happens if you grow over time? You have to be willing to adapt your system to account for that growth. Um, And I think a lot of people start a little bit too relaxed with that. And the problem with starting to relax with that is when you do inevitably grow, if that's your goal, 
you don't have the systems to sustain it. So the people that started with you where you would respond within like a couple of hours and now you're taking four or five days to respond because you've got, you know, a hundred people messaging you every day. Uh, they're going to feel like their, their product is less valuable now or that you're putting less value in them because you've grown. So having a really uh, good standardized uh, approach where the expectations are clear in both directions is really important. So that might mean setting up like, okay, you're checking in once a week or twice a week on these days at these times, whatever it may be, um, and making sure you stick to that. Yeah, I think, the, I think that sort of relaxed approach uh, is one of the other big problems. And it's just because, you know, most people coming into this game, we're not business people. We don't think business-minded. We don't think systems and structures and uh, frameworks and all that sort of stuff because we don't get taught that stuff. We just figure it out. Um, the cool thing is now that like a lot of people who are venturing into coaching online have probably already experienced a few online coaches because it's become so popular. Um, so you might already have an idea of how you want your system to look because you've been part of other people's systems and you've been able to say, I didn't like how this worked. If I was doing it, I'd do it this way. Uh, and then you can form a little bit of a, a better system from the get-go. So I'd like to think, I mean, I'm not that familiar with what people are offering and how it looks because never, you know, I don't go to every single online coach and say, hey, what does your system look like? Um, so how do I know? But I'd like to think that in general, people are getting better at that. I would like to hope so. If you're not, you should be. Yeah, it's like, what, it's like what you're doing with the process, man. Like the process stuff is really cool. It's all clean. It's all well thought out. The programs are really immaculately presented. The only annoying thing is when you did that giant like Instagram montage and I had to see like all these real close-ups of Potsy's arm and Potsy's face and stuff. Oh, dear. <laughs> Didn't you just like all 50 of them and then move on? Like yeah, I think I think I tried not to like any of them because I knew what you were doing and I knew if I liked them that they'd keep coming up. So I kind of just wanted them to disappear. I don't even yeah. know how people do that. Is there like an yeah. app you used to cut it up or something? No, I didn't do it. I've got someone doing all the marketing for me. Ah, sweet. It looks cool when you go to the page. Yeah, it looks good. Um, let's go back to the technique stuff. And this is some, again, some stuff that you've done with me in the coach development course is like, using sort of drawings and diagrams to sort of elicit like teaching. Is that something that you would use with your clients as well? Like if you wanted to explain like the lift start position or like bottom position in the squat or something like that, is that something that you would use as well? Um, I'd say as a last resort. So like I was saying before, you know, uh, the approach may seem simple, but I might have to hit in a bunch of different angles. Uh, that would be kind of a last resort thing. I try not to do much like talking over videos or drawing on videos or anything like that. Um, but I will if the language I'm using isn't isn't cutting it, you know. Um, and the reason being because, uh, you know, for you looking at it as a coach, we're, we're looking at it as like, what do you see as a coach? Whereas for a client, they don't see themselves from the side. So I don't see a great deal of value in telling them exactly what I'm looking for because what you're looking for and what you feel are two very different things. So I talk a lot more to the feeling of things or I try to talk a lot more to the feeling of things. And I think um, that would probably be a follow on point from the cueing and the technical coaching that I missed. I, I don't know why we talk about it. Um, being, being able to con convey how something should feel via text uh, is very difficult. It's weird. 
Like you'd never have to do that. Um, and uh, as a coach, unless you're an experienced lifter, I think you're going to suffer with that as well because you don't know how it feels. So not only do you have to be acutely aware to how cueing something well feels, you have to be acutely aware to how feel, uh, how cueing something wrong feels. Uh, and that's why that's a really good way of determining what kind of language you're going to use. If you're going to tell someone to pull the bar apart, don't go and pull the bar apart yourself and be like, oh, yeah, I can feel that in my lats or in my whatever. Go pull the bar apart and try and feel it wrong. Try and misinterpret it. And if you can try and misinterpret it and you can't misinterpret it, maybe that language is going to be a good way to use it. If you try it and you can misinterpret it in 10 ways, you got to assume that this person now has a one in 10 chance of getting it right. You know, so um, being able to talk about how something should feel is going to be important because when you change someone's technique, you know what it's like in person. You change someone's technique, you see them do it well, and you can say that was good, and they'll be like, oh, "I felt weird," and you'd be like, "Yeah, because you're not used to doing it that way, or because we've changed something." When someone does it uh, online, you give them the feedback, they try it, they feel it, and they're like, "This doesn't feel right. That's not good. I'm just going to keep doing what I was doing before." And then they film those sets that they were doing like they were doing before. They send it through, and you're like, "This is no different to last time. I told you to do this." You know, you can get caught in that sort of cycle. Mm. So being able to say okay, we're going to get you to pull your shoulders back and down and you're going to lock that in and hold it while you bench. Now, when you do this, all you're going to feel is your back cramping and squeezing really hard. If you can feel that, you're doing it right. Then they know when they go the next week and they try and they're like, fuck, this feels like shit in my back. They're like, oh, buddy said that's how it's supposed to feel. Okay. Then you can assess that and be like, oh, that was great. Well, no, it felt wrong because you were doing it this way. Try this a little bit more or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, it's a really important point is that the coach needs to have the, the experience themselves first. And that's something that I use quite often with my lifters is like I'll explain how something should feel because I've been through that. Um, how important do you think that, I guess, coaching in general and coaches have that experience before they begin coaching? Like not, just in, or not just online, but in person as well. Yeah, I, I think it's really important. I would, um, I like the way that, that I like how we're using the word experience and not strength because mm. strength doesn't relate to experience. Um, I think uh, when we're talking about experience as well, um, that's not just experience under the bar, but experience with like the programming that you're doing as well. Like I, I'm all for people having coaches and for coaches having coaches. I do think that's an important part of it. But if your coach programs you two singles every week with, three drop down sets of three reps at like 80 percent that's pretty easy going program you know and if that's how you permanently train if you decide to give your lifters six sets of eight at you know 65 percent the feeling of your training is very different to the feeling of their training so when they're like Fuck, the six sets of eight is killing me you can be like you can empathize with that and be like yeah i know i'm you know i've been through that as well uh, so not only the feeling of technical change but the feeling of fatigue that they're going to be under with whatever kind of programming that you're delivering um, the feeling of, uh, you know, the more psychological sort of feelings when they're transitioning towards the peak and everything feels hard and heavy and they feel weaker when they should be feeling stronger. And all of that stuff is tied up in the word experience that I think you need to have if you're going to be able to empathize and communicate well with your clients. And like you said, that that's going to apply online and in person. Yeah, I think online, that... Okay. No, no, you go. I was going to say, I think online that skill is even a little bit more important because you have to be able to see the signs of people kind of psychologically checking out or, you know, uh, mentally checking out in the way that they lift. Because like I said, now you've lost that emotional connection with someone. 
So if you walk in the door and you're all mopey and I can be like, man, what's up? What's going on? What's on your mind? Uh, I can't, I can't do that online. I can ask you and you can lie to me or you can check in when you feel good and be like, yeah, everything feels great. Um, but if your technique's starting to slip or, you know, your performance is starting to drop, then we can open up that dialogue. That can be a little bit harder to sense the signs. So uh, from an experience perspective as well, I know what my lifters should be looking like and should be feeling like in week three of this block of that sort of program or week four of the peaking block, whatever it may be. Um, so being really acutely aware of that so you can hang out and have that dialogue is really important as well. Is that something that you would often like preempt at the start of the block with them is like, you know, this block's going to be tough and week four is going to be quite difficult. Just be expecting for it to be difficult. Is that something that you would communicate early on? Mm, no, not really. Uh, maybe in sort of a facetious way, if they do week one and they send me their week one check-in and they're like, this is really hard. I'm not used to this volume. I might write back and be like, uh, yeah, and week one's an easy week. Wait till you get to week three, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, maybe if they're doubting themselves coming into a peak, I would be a little bit more explicit of what to expect and what to feel and also what's going to happen in the peak. Um, especially when you've got head case lifters that freak out if they miss one rep uh, or they have to drop the weight by five or 10 kilos. People really think they're going backwards if that happens, which may not be the case. So I'll preempt that sort of stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't uh, do that routinely with blocks that I send down. Cause the way that I'll do it, you go. The way that I'll do it is like, um, you know, week one's week one will be quite comfortable and then week four, I'm going to push you. So, you know, be expected to, to work hard. And I think kind of using that language of like, you know, get ready to work hard and, you know, that kind of for a lot of people. And what I found is that it kind of excites them and gets them like G'd up to sort of like get through that work. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, I tend to write most of my programming in four week blocks. Uh, where the fifth week is the deload um, and the fourth week, especially in the sort of, you know, between 65 and 85% uh, is the reaching week. So in the gym, we call it ham week. Um, and uh, sometimes in the week three check and I'll be like, yeah, next week is, you know, it's going to be the time to push. So if you can drive things up a little bit, or if they've been struggling, I'll be like this next week is going to feel really fucking hard. Be prepared for that. Um, I certainly, what I was going to say is I certainly don't think there's anything, anything wrong with that at all. Um, I don't do it just because I don't do it. I don't really have a reason why I don't do it. I don't think it's a bad idea. Sweet. All right. Um, one of my favorite parts of coaching is actual game day coaching, choosing attempts, mm. getting in someone's ear, all those kind of things. And that's kind of not really possible sometimes with online coaching, you know, unless the person lives in the same vicinity as us or you know with all the federation bullshit that's in australia and you can't actually coach outside your federation all that kind of stuff like sometimes you're not able to coach your lifters at their meets um how have you navigated around this and how are your i guess yeah, let's start there how have you navigated around this with your online clients yeah yeah i mean um i'm i'm completely uh uh i'm completely what am I trying to say? I completely agree with what you think. Like, yeah, in complete agreement. Like, uh, the, for me, that's that's the number one, the number one day. Uh, that's the most exciting thing. 
Um, previously, I've done my absolute best to fly around to every single competition I can. Even the ones I'm not allowed to coach at, I'll still go and support at. Um, and that's out of my cost, out of my own pocket. And I think that's a big part of what made my business grow is being present at these things and being willing to go the extra mile for my clients. Uh, and that's how I always looked at it. Uh, a, I wanted to be there because their performance on game day not only is really important to me from an emotional perspective, like I'm really connected to them doing well, from a business perspective, if they do well, that's my advertising. Um, so it makes sense for me to go go out of my way to go go and be there. Plus, I love it. Like, how can you not love it? It's the best, it's the best part of the whole process. Um, the hard part, especially as I started to grow and um, as many people as I have now, is that a lot of comps end up on the same day. Like you get three comps on, on one day and obviously can't be present. Uh, in the beginning, if I couldn't make a comp, it was just about trying to be as present as I could via online, you know, trying to talk to them as much as I could through the day, um, even if that meant staying up or getting up early due to the time differences or whatever. Now I've got a, a network of people that tend to help me out. So people in other states that I can reach out to and be like, hey, you know, can, I, can you go lift, look after my lifters here at this comp? It's kind of a scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard one. You want to be at every single comp that you can and it's not always possible. Um, so uh, the, the benefit of that is that when you're training people online, they tend to have their own communities, their own circles of, of support as well. Um, and often they'll have, you know, their friends, uh, if they're in a wrapped federation, their friends will wrap their knees. Or they might have the coach of the gym that they train at offer to help them. Or you might be able to pay someone to go and help them. Um, it's always a really hard thing letting that control out of your hands, but it is a part of the game that you have to accept when you're, uh, when you're an online coach. Yeah. So what about um, communicating competition plans if they don't have anyone who can help them out? If it's just them and like maybe their friend, you don't know their friend. Mm. How do you go about communicating the competition plan with them? Yeah, I guess on the one hand, I'm, I'm lucky to have the bias of working with a lot of uh, high level competitors that are a bit more experienced in that regard. Otherwise I, I write out the full warm up sequence um, and uh, generally, we have a pretty much exact plan of what we're going to hit for opens and seconds, and it just becomes a matter of picking thirds based on seconds. Um, having contingency plans, if you missed your opener on depth, do it again, you know, and then maybe take a jump, a bigger jump, you know, having contingency plans for that kind of thing. Um, what I really need to do is, is write a full guidebook of that and send it out to clients, and I think uh, that's something that I'd like to do in the future. Uh, but it's, yeah, just, just being and trying to tick as many of those boxes as you can uh, in terms of, you know, hitting every sort of contingency, having a very clear plan of what attempts they should be hitting um, and what to do if this happens or that happens. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's like the, you think of the, the, the sheer number of decisions you make on comp day for your lifters, like how can you condense that into a message? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even like, even stuff like, you know, if it's their first competition, like get to the venue check your rack heights, go to the weighing room, like make sure you, you know, pick a rack to warm up on, like start warming up 30 minutes before, like all the little things that yeah. like, someone, someone who's never been there wouldn't think of. Like it's very hard to sort of get someone to do what you want. Yeah. When, totally. when you, when they don't even know what it is. 
<laughs> for sure. Timing of warm-ups is a big one, especially mm. if you've got a, a person that benches less than 100 kilos, you know, mm. and it's a small flight and there's a big few big benches and you, you, they go out the back and they see everyone, you know, benching the bar and they start getting and benching the bar and then benching 30. It's like, okay, your open is 45. You don't need to be benching 45 minutes before the flight starts. You know? mm. It's going to take you less than 10 minutes to warm up. Um, you can do that and stop the person in their tracks on, uh, on the comp day that you're there at. Um, the other big thing with timing as well is the time between squat and bench and bench mm. and deadlift. Uh, uh, you know, I've been to enough comps to be able to pretty well estimate that or at least go talk to the person I need to talk to to find out exactly when that's going to be and keep bugging that. I like to do that for my lifters. Most lifters don't, they, they just forget about that. It's like squat's done. Okay, let's start warming up the bench. It's like, yeah, but the timing that you've planned for that includes another 10 to 15 minutes of changing equipment and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's that's some of the some of the challenges you're always going to face if you're not there. But again, um, you know, as you as you grow, hopefully you have a network of people around the place that you can be like, hey man, I've got these lifters, and I already know that you've got um, some help around the place for that sort of stuff. It's just harder and harder the more you grow and the more obscure sort of locations you end up with, you lose some of that uh, some of that control. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about the actual the competition plan themselves? How does the detail of it change based on the lifter that you're talking to? Like if you have if you have um, Jen Smith or Dylan Hell Rival, like one of those like really really top level lifters, and you can't make it to the meet, you probably would make it to the meet. But if you couldn't, like. I'm assuming the language that you would use in that competition plan would be a little bit different to some newer lifter. Yeah. 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 Um, well, yes and no, because some of the, as you know, you know, some of the most experienced lifters are just fucking head cases that have freaked out every comp. They've done 20 comps, but every comp is like their first comp, you know? Um, so it's more just being like, how well do you know that lifter and uh, what do they need from you? Um, that's the important thing. Mm. I guess my my general approach is being so well prepared before the day even comes that there's not that much to cover. Okay. Like so overconfident in openers and seconds. Um, so so well prepared in terms of like the warm up structure. So ready in terms of the peak. Um, being really well prepared in, in all of that stuff. So all we have to talk about is maybe a couple of contingencies and what the third attempt is going to be. Cool. Sweet, man. Is there, any, is there anything else you wanted to cover with um, any of the stuff we've spoken about? No, I think that's all great. Cool, man. So because you've been on the show before and you've already done the four questions yeah. and Will's not here, we're going to do, we're going to continue overrated, underrated, properly rated. Okay. Oh, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Uh what what does that entail? Like if I go first, and am, I, am I the one giving you the subject? Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's do that. All right. So you can, go first. I can copy your style. Okay. Um, APU. No, no, no. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, Robert Wills. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I was going to say hook grip. Hook grip. Yeah. Overrated, properly rated, underrated. Um. Oh man, I feel like people who don't do hook grip will underrate hook grip. People who do do hook grip will overrate hook grip. Oh. So hook grip is probably properly rated. 
Wow. I was not expecting that. What would you say? For hooker? Yeah. Well, I just, I'm going to change my answer to what you said. <laughs> I would have said overrated, but the way you put it is like, yeah, wow, he's, he's like a spot on the ball. That's, that's perfect. I think for sumo, it's excellent, but conventional, I don't really see the point. Unless you already have like a torn bicep and you can't mix and you're like scared about your bicep tearing again. Uh, why, do, why do people think that it's better for sumo? Because the, the underhand, on a, if you do mixed grip underhand, the underhand gets caught in your leg sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you can end up like rotating a little bit towards okay. that side. Whereas yeah. if you hook, you, you're like symmetrical. See, I've always had the opposite problem with sumo where my, uh, where my overhand, the fingers drag up my thigh and sometimes open up a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I've pulled both ways. I've pulled conventional sumo and I've pulled, I pulled hook grip for like two years. Um, and I really liked it at the time. I couldn't go back though. I tore a thumb callus and then since then, it's never felt the same. Uh, so, yeah. Hasn't grown back? No. Yeah, I've literally done 120 kilos hook grip once and it was the worst thing ever and I'm never doing it again. Fucking hurt. Yeah, dude, 100%. All right. I love how Over people right. say like, oh, you'll, you'll get, um, you'll get used to it. You don't get used to it. You don't you never desensitize. You just get better at accepting how much it fucking hurts. I've got this like knee, knee wraps. Oh, you'll desensitize. You'll get better at it. No, you don't. They always feel like shit. You just get better <laughs> at accepting how shit it feels. <laughs> I've, um, I've just started coaching this ex weightlifter who does everything hook grip. And he lit- he literally has no feeling in his in his thumbs anymore. <laughs> does he bench hook grip? <laughs> he probably should. He he does like sets of ten RDLs hook grip. Oh Jesus! I know. <laughs> That's insane. And he's like, no, it doesn't hurt. Fuck that. That's insane. All right, my turn. Overrated, underrated, properly rated, breathing drills. Oh wow! I thought you were going to say pause deadlifts. I was like bracing myself up. <laughs> Bracing myself uh, for pause the others. Um, overrated, underrated, properly rated. Definitely not properly rated. Definitely, <laughs> definitely overrated. Um, look, I'd, uh, I, I know you're wanting a real salty, angry sort of response, and I'm trying really hard not to give one. Um, I think the the number one problem with, with breathing drills is that it's so far removed from the reality of uh, what bracing actually is. Like, I don't want to sound like a bracist, but so many people get bracing so incorrect. Um, and the actual foundation of what bracing is so wrong that they, they miss the point. Um, the idea that we don't know how to breathe or the language used around breathing, like breathe into your belly, you don't have fucking lungs in your stomach. So you can't breathe into your belly. What they're trying to say is like breathe diaphragmatically. And they're trying to talk about all this diaphragm control sort of stuff. Diaphragm's not broken. It works. Uh, Bracing is a more complex thing than just what your diaphragm does. So the more people can understand what bracing actually is, the more they can kind of disconnect from this idea of magical breathing drills. It's just a symptom of a, a bigger cause in the industry, which is like, we don't know what the problems are, so we keep 
gravitating towards these magical solutions. Fucking mobility wad band distract everything to fix your body. No, no, no. Let's uh, get a Theragun and fucking pulverize yourself to death to fix your body. No, no, no. Get needling. No, no, no. Get cupping. It's like we don't know what the problems are, so we just gravitate towards these. Uh, what does Joe Rogan say? These woo-woo kind of things. I don't know. I don't. I don't watch Rogan. <laughs> I never did. I started just recently. Um, I I only watch the ones with um, comedians or with uh, sports people. Ah, see, I do the opposite. I only listen to the ones with scientists. Uh, okay. But it's weird. Joe Rogan's like so non-scientific when I mean, he talks to them and he kind of diminishes the point of the... Anyway. Um, yeah, that was probably an underwhelming response. For I'm trying to be diplomatic because it's not my podcast and I don't want your listeners to think like, oh, this guy's an angry piece of shit. So you don't want them to know who you are as a person? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that's the number one thing when it comes to online coaching. Now everyone sees your persona so that you can never show the real you anymore. <laughs> Just hide behind a screen. That's right. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. No uh, do you have any, you got one last job, plug, your, plug your business, plug your coaching, plug your podcast, do the whole thing. Yeah. We didn't take a break so I can play some music. I have, I have my piano set up and everything. Oh, you actually do. Yeah. Or is is that just always there? That I play. Sorry? Do you not believe that I play? No, I believe that you play. You you were raving on about some musician when you did your uh when you did the last podcast about what montage song you'd be. You were raving about some I don't know, something. Something that Will would remember. Some some musician, Beethoven, one of the greatest <laughs> composers of all time. Jesus. See now I need Will Nerdman back. Oh, he's, even on a, he's even on a nerdy holiday. Like most people go on holidays, they go to Vegas, get fucked up, go to Hawaii, chill out. He's going to Japan. I bet he's learning heaps of stuff. What a nerd. He's, he's gone to watch rugby. Oh. <laughs> Which is like, rugby is definitely the nerdy version of rugby. So I guess it's somewhat, it's somewhat nerdy. <laughs> no, Japan's sick. Um, no, that's that's it. So plugging stuff, uh, Tombro7 on Instagram, uh, zero underscore weakness is my business. Uh, my podcast is Peak Speak. Has a lot less downloads than Weekly Ways, but we're, we're slowly catching up. It's kind of actually, it's a good um, euphemism. It's like you guys are like PA, the tested guys, you know, plugging away at the podcast, getting more downloads, being consistent. We're just kind of like the, the non-tested, lazy, you know, just don't accept that we're not getting results if we keep doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. Well, as, as we were recording this, um, a new episode popped up on my phone, Peak Speak 45. Yeah. It was, or was it 46? It's supposed to come out yesterday, so. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Professionalism is the best. And we were supposed to record on yesterday, but John was AWOL. So hopefully one comes out next week as well. Anyway. <laughs> Jesus. Thanks for your All time, right, man. man. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks so much. All right. See you. Bye.